Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. funny meeting you here god i hope no one ever I... makes a compilation of all the times i've said that at the top of the episode <laughs> <laughs> well you know you've just wished upon a star for it by no. saying it out loud no don't do it don't embarrass me we're here uh, we have announcements we have news we have things to tell you before we get into today's episode um the first actually the first two things are pretty fucking big deals jenny Pretty fun. Yes. Did you ever think that maybe perhaps one day you would uh, be able to add author to your uh, resume? Uh, You're working. I dared to dream, Kristen. (laughs) I dared to dream. Just yesterday, it was announced that we are writing a book. We are publishing a book with St. Martin's Press called Slayers, Every One of Us. And um, it's just going to be about the fucking last six years of our life. Um, our life or lives, depending on how you want to look at it, um, where we have <laughs> journeyed through the series, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and also, you know, moved through things like being married and then being divorced or like, mm. you know, presidential mm-hmm. elections or pandemics or like, who knows? A couple of things have happened. So all kinds of things. We're going to be writing a book about it and we're really fucking excited. I'm excited. How are you feeling? I'm also Excited. Yeah, it's pretty fucking cool. It's pretty fucking cool. We um, put it on social media yesterday and we were just showered with all of your excitement and love and all of the things that you constantly are giving to us, uh, as well as all of your questions. <laughs> so we don't have a ton of answers yet because we ju- we ju- it just happened. It just happened. But um, one of the biggest questions was, but will there be an audiobook? We don't know yet, but like, yeah, you know. Like, like, probably. I mean, it, certainly it would be very funny if there wasn't, since the, our format, our main format is, is, is this in your ears. Um, but we will, of course, share more information with you as we have it. But for now, we're just like, fuck yes. So this is so exciting. We're yeah, just, it's really exciting. Yeah. We're going to write a book. We're going to write a book. Hey, we're going to do something else. Um <gasps> We're going to go to Chicago. We're going to go to Chicago. Chicago, we told Kristen, you. Take me to Chicago. I will take you to Chicago. I will Thank take you. you and your wife, Jess Abbott, <gasps> to Chicago. We're all going. Wives for ex-wives getaway weekend wives. in Chicago. <laughs> so many wives, so little time, which is almost the yes. title of the show that we're doing in Chicago. Uh, Indeed. <laughs> The, the Chicago show is two nights. It's July 23rd and 24th, and it is called Two Slayers, No Waiting, A Dirty Girls Weekend. Wow. I wonder right. what that could be about. Jess is coming. Mm. Uh, two Slayers, mm. No Waiting, mm, Dirty Girls. You know, we try not to spoil mm. anything, but we have to announce this show. So, <laughs> Indeed. Uh, this show is going to be happening at Lincoln Hall beautiful venue uh, in Chicago. Yes. Very exciting. Yes. And Chicago, we know, you know, we were supposed to be in your sweet embrace two years ago. And we know that every time we've announced a show since then, you've been like, but what the fuck? And so here, 
here we are. And I mean, dare I say it? I the think, show of shows. I mean, I think you're getting truly the show of shows. Uh, so Saturday night is going to be mostly music. Uh, also, I don't know if you've heard, but we're really good at PowerPoint presentations. So like we <laughs> might we might unearth our now infamous PowerPoint presentation at this show. But uh, Jenny, you're going to be singing Bad Girls and Faith, Hope oh, and Trick. Yes. And a new song oh, yes. called Dirty Girls with uh, with somebody, not me. Our voice of Faithful Hain. Yeah. Jess Abbott. For the first time ever. Yeah. It's going to be really, really awesome. It's going to be really fun. Uh, My favorite part is going to be when in one of these songs, you give me a glockenspiel part so that all three of us can perform together. All three of us (laughs) can perform together a song about Buffy and Faith. Tell me a gayer thing. And thus the prophecy (laughs) shall be fulfilled. Name name me a gayer thing than this. Um, And Sunday, of course, we will be doing a live recording of our episode for season seven, episode 18, Dirty Girls. Um, It's going to be really fun. We're really excited. And uh, the tickets go on sale for our patrons first, as always. Tomorrow, Thursday, April 21st at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. So if you're in Chicago, that means it's 9 a.m. Thursday, April 21st, okay? The show is Saturday and Sunday, July 23rd and 24th. Tickets pre-sale, April 21st, 9 a.m. Central, 10 a.m. Eastern. If you are not a patron, the tickets will go on sale to the public on Friday, April 22nd at 1 p.m. Eastern, noon Central. All details can be found on Lincoln Hall's website, which is lh-st.com. You can also just go to bufferingthevampireslayer.com and click on our calendar. You can find it all there, July 23rd and 24th, the ticketing links and all of that stuff. Okay, so Chicago, we're coming to you. Now, New York City, you know that we also need to come to you, right? We don't have all the Mm -hmm. details aligned yet, but we want to just give you a heads up that our plan is to come to you this September. So we hope to have all of the details for you, New York City, in the next couple of weeks. Stay tuned for those announcements. But for now, I mean, Jesus, have we ever had a bigger fucking intro, a book deal, and a a fucking two-night Buffy and Faith show in Chicago? Yeah. It's all coming together, Kristen. It really is. I can't even believe you you have to take that and now go into the Sexual Tension Awards. Well, uh, listen, it's a pretty exciting time over in the Sexual Tension Awards as well, Mm -hmm. Kristen. Mm -hmm. Pretty pretty big week uh, (laughs) and pretty close race, honestly, given the some of the very skewed results we've gotten recently. Uh, In fourth place fall the way down in fourth place with uh 20 of the vote it's anya and bad bad demons <laughs> this was like maybe the closest four-way that we've ever had i mean it's but they're, they're, pretty all, close. they're all pretty high pretty close. yeah now uh the next two mm-hmm. couplings mm-hmm. are tied and i believe the way that works mm-hmm. is that we say they are tied for second place Yes, right? I think that I, th- I thought you were going to say I think the way that this works is that actually they're now a threesome, and I was like, yes, correct. That's that is also <laughs> possible. Uh, we, each with twenty-two percent of the vote, we have Anya and Willow, and Anya and Kennedy, or if you like, with forty-four percent of the vote, Anya, Willow, and Kennedy. <laughs> yeah. So maybe they actually <laughs> did win. It's who's to say? Maybe, but. The numbers that we have to go off of, 
uh, without considering uh, thruple absorption, uh, <laughs> leads me to tell you that in first place with 36% of the vote, it's Zandrew, Zandrew, Zandrew. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much to all 547 of you who voted <laughs> in our Twitter poll. You rock. You really do. Congratulations to Zandrew. Um, Unbelievable. Hey, how about an email? Uh, we just rolled out of Easter weekend and we got a really uh, holiday specific email uh, related to, I'm sure, no surprise to you, Anya, from our listener TJ that I thought I would read to us. The subject of the email was thoughts on Anya's laporophobia, which means fear of rabbits. Ooh. Okay, so TJ was reading this article about the pagan origins of Easter um, from the Smithsonian Magazine and came across an interesting paragraph. TJ says from, this is a quote from the article, the eating of the hair may have been associated with various longstanding folk traditions of scaring away witches at Easter. Throughout Northern Europe, folk traditions record a strong belief that witches would often take the form of a hare, usually for causing mischief such as, this is my favorite part, stealing milk from neighbors' cows. Totally. (laughs) Such a a prank uh, from those rabbits. Uh, Witches in medieval (laughs) Europe were said to be able to suck out the life energy of others, making them ill. TJ says, could Anya's lingering laporophobia be an unconscious remnant of her Scandinavian culture? We know that Anya no longer consciously bears ill will or fear for witches. I would posit that her millennium as a vengeance demon sufficiently opened her mind, heart, and spirit such that she would no longer be prejudiced against witches consciously. However, could it be that the laporophobia remains as an unconscious prejudice she adopted thousands of years ago to make meaning of the tragedy that would come to define her existence as Anyanka, the vengeance demon? Solid. Uh, Yes, I love the read of vengeance demons uh, known for their open minds, hearts, and spirits. (laughs) Just a delightful, I mean, and you know, discuss amongst yourselves, but I love this theory. This so far might be my favorite bunny theory for Anya. (laughs) Um, And timed really well with uh, the Easter holiday. (laughs) Indeed. uh, Speaking of, before we roll into the episode, the last thing I want to say, first of all, thank you, TJ, for this wonderful email. Uh, Mm -hmm. And if you're into listening to us read your brilliant emails, this is a note that patrons, we're going to finally be recording the mailbag episode that you've uh, deserved for quite some time now next Friday. So uh, we'll open up the forum that is uh, special for patrons. You can submit your questions, your comments, your theories, your fucking theses, whatever you want. uh, And we'll be recording that episode and putting it up on Patreon in the next couple of weeks. Cool. Nice. Nice. Well, Jenny, now nice. I believe it's um... <gasps> showtime. To Buffering the Vampire Slayer, a podcast where we are watching and discussing every episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, one by one, spoiler-free, in tandem with those gals I'd definitely never decapitate with a bit of 
wire I found laying around a construction site. Angel on top. Wow. Okay. Well, I would also not do that one. Usually I like to <laughs> counter you with the fact that I would do the opposite, but that's a little, that's a little violent for me. <laughs> I am. I am Jenny Owen Youngs, damn it. Oh, Kristen. Sorry. I'm so sorry. <laughs> and I am Kristen Russo. Uh, and this week, mm. hey, we're talking about Buffy season seven, episode 11, Showtime. Oh, Stick- nope. Sorry, Kristen. The law actually states that you have to, you can only say the title of this episode when I, in if the I following do jazz manner. hands. Showtime. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. You have to say it like that. That's okay, the rule. All right. Rewind the tape. This week, we're talking about Buffy season seven, episode 11, Showtime. Was it good? <laughs> Very good. A Did plus. I meet the terms of my contract? Oh, yes. Your contract has been fulfilled. Thank you so much. Uh, stay tuned at the end of this podcast every other week for an original song written by Jenny, although recently written really by Jenny and I. I feel like we've been doing a lot of collaborating lately. I would like some credit. The credit is yours. <laughs> Recapping the Buffy episode that we are discussing. Also, before you jump into your little part of this intro, Jenny, I want to say that um, when you were saying we'll be watching and discussing every episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, my mind thought we're we'll be watching and discussing every Goram episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, which comes from Firefly, which I just finished watching in our Patreon watch. So now you know it like got in deep. It like yeah, it's got its little hooks in there. Yeah, Yeah, just as I just as I hoped and planned (laughs) and dreamed. Well, Kristen, Showtime was written by David Fury, directed by Michael Grossman, and originally aired, Are You Ready, on January 7th, 2003. We have entered the final calendar year of the show. Wow, confetti, streamers fly, happy new year. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. The the OOs were such a great time for New Year's Eve glasses. You know, they'll never... (laughs) <laughs> They're not going to have a time like that again until we're in the 3000s. Uh, yep, yep. Should we should we make it there, which we all know we won't. So, <laughs> so And if we do, let's perhaps hope, let's dream a dream that we'll yes. have done away with the tradition of uh, annual glasses. <laughs> I just love the way they try to make the twos work now around your eye. Come on, guys. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. All right. This is the one where... Buffy has to keep the ever-increasing number of potential slayers from panicking while Giles and Anya seek answers from Beljox's eye, otherwise known as Botox's eye. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. Can't mm-hmm. wait to talk about that fucking thing, which if you listen to the episode that we did before this one, you know that Jenny told everyone to go check out the JPEG <laughs> on Hulu, <clears throat> and um, it was Beljox's eye. I, I, Beljox's many eyes, really. I guess all yeah. of those eyes make up the one eye of Beljoxa. Mm, a compound eye, if you will. Dying to talk about how Beljoxa speaks with all those eyes. You know, it's like 10,000 <laughs> eyes when all you need is a mouth. Is uh- <laughs> <laughs> Isn't it ironic? <laughs> Oh, no. Uh, Wow. Starting um, off strong. So previously on Buffy the Vampire Slayer, a bunch of stuff happened. So much happened, I don't even want to get into it. The only thing I want to make a note of is that I didn't clock it watching the previous episode, but Dawn seems a little salty that there are suddenly all these 
gals in her age range around who all are potential slayers. Honestly, I feel like she's doing a good job. Like I, Dawn is No, she's doing a good job. Right. Totally. It's it's just like queen of get out, get out, get out has like actually (laughs) kept a lid on this whole time. Totally. Yeah. But there is just like one moment uh, in the previous leads where you can just see it peeking through a little bit that she might sc- start screaming, get out at all of them at any moment. All of us are like constantly on guard for Dawn screaming, get out, get out, get out, you know. Uh, I'd like to I'd like to start this episode with a little roll call. OK, OK, because we've got some new potentials. We had a potential casualty last episode mm-hmm. i'd love to just go over where we are and who is with us at this moment one two three four five are you ready <laughs> come on let's uh, you know what i mean i i do know what you mean good and the, and, and, it, and it was vague enough we're like only a handful of people who were alive exactly during the time that we were alive will know what i mean <laughs> <laughs> go ahead jenny uh, take us through we've got uh Kind of the star player of the episode where the potentials are concerned, Eve, mm-hmm. played by Amanda Fuller. Yeah, she's been on a lot of stuff. Like what? Well, most notably, I didn't watch all the way through Orange is the New Black, but apparently Amanda Fuller was one of the like primary <laughs> villains in season six and seven of Orange is the New oh, Black. Dang. And her resume dang, there is seven quite seasons long. of that show. I know, I know. I, I kind of. <laughs> There was a moment, if you've watched the show, there was a moment uh, that was in, I believe, one of the finales where I said, I'm no more of this for me. I think a lot of yes. people may have done that. So yeah. I, I didn't get to meet Amanda Fuller, but she has a long resume. All right. All right. All right. Left over from uh, last episode, we have Molly played by Clara Bryant, which if you couldn't tell from her accent is from Glendale. <laughs> Glendale, California. I like Molly's accent because I feel like it is of a spice. Like, she's not doing an English accent. She's doing a Spice right, Girls right. accent. You know what I mean? Totally. <laughs> yes. A hundred percent. We also have a face I'm sure a lot of you will recognize, even if you're watching for the first time. We have Felicia Day yeah. in the role of Vi. Okay. And then we have three more potentials that are essentially, I think, the largest simultaneous injection of characters of color into the show mm-hmm. at one time. Mm-hmm. Uh, still hanging in there from last episode, Iari Limon, who is Mexican-American, playing mm-hmm. Kennedy. Mm-hmm. We have newcomer Lelaine playing Chloe. She's Filipino-American and also a Disney kid. I was going to say, uh, this is this is a little younger than I am to have clocked her, but she w- she played Lizzie McGuire's best friend, Miranda Sanchez. That's a big deal. <laughs> she was in like a bajillion episodes of Lizzie McGuire. Wow. So if you're like a little, probably if you're just like a, a touch younger than us, you were like, I know who this is. No wonder Dawn is pissed. <laughs> yeah, seriously. This is like, Chloe is definitely the biggest direct threat <laughs> to Dawn. And then we've got Rona, Played by Indigo, mm-hmm. who also was in Are You Ready for This? I think I might know. You might already know. Seasons one and two, at least, of Weeds. Yeah. Playing Vanita. Yeah. Indigo was in an episode of television <laughs> that I, a song I wrote and sang was also this in, second- which feels very cool. This is the second time this has happened. This just happened with that vamp that Spike killed at the bronze, who was in Fifty Shades of Grey that you had a song Oh, in. yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> wow. Wow. Yeah, I guess season seven of Buffy is really my time for crossover. Yeah. Um, yeah, Vanita. So like, you know, a lot of the a lot of the potentials I like looked up what they had been in and what have you and was like, oh, that makes like I recognize that or I recognize that, but I didn't like recognize them. But Indigo as Vanita on Weeds, that is a role that I remember very, very, very deeply. Um mm-hmm. I I loved the first few seasons of Weeds. Um, and yeah, and she's great. Also, since we've gotten to Rona, is, are you done with your roll call? I'm done with my roll call. That's the whole squad. Potentials oh. assemble. <laughs> uh, I just want to give a shout out to Rona's outfit on arrival because I fucking love it. This is a Good 2003 outfit. look. These baggy overalls, <laughs> you know, like just... baggy overalls, kind of like a smaller cardigan. Yeah. Kind of deal. It's good. Uh, backpack. Very good vibe. How many times do you think we've had an episode either open or come back from the credits on the shot of a bus door at the Sunnydale bus terminal opening, revealing the steps and then various sets of feet and legs walking down them? Honestly, usually not a lot of people getting off of the buses at the Sunnydale Depot. (laughs) It's usually just Yeah, usually the door opens and uh, the camera goes up the stairs and we see a bloodbath or... Yeah, that's true. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that. Okay, so I just just need to talk about one small... So we're in the first scene now, right? That's where we've landed. Because Rona has arrived. Um, She's traveled by bus. She's coming down the steps of the bus. The bringers are there because, as we will learn in a following scene, they now know that the potential slayers are going to Sunnydale. I also have recovered from last episode's confusion of why the slayers would be going to the Hellmouth because Buffy says it. She's like, I'm here to protect. Like, I guess they're going to get they're They're being chased no matter where they are. And so being mm-hmm. in a large fighting group with the Slayer is probably yeah. the safest they could be. So I re- I retract my disbelief and horror from last episode. But <laughs> the reason I'm saying all this is because the bringers are there. They're going to try to kill Rona. Fine. We can talk about it. But what I want to talk about, Jenny, first is that before Rona got off the bus, <laughs> one of the fucking bringers g- flipped his little fucking hands, flipped through <laughs> the fucking yellow book pages to Summers <laughs> and tore out just half the piece of paper. <laughs> the the attention to detail, the the no prank is too small vibe of this is so good. They're just like, well, we've got our first line of defense. We'll remove this page of the phone book. I died. Second line of defense will kill her. We'll kill her. I fucking died. I like I can't. I just it's so good to me that how how, <laughs> how about Buffy just absolutely wailing on these bringers? They didn't stand a chance. That shot where the, all three of them are standing between the two buses and she just grabs them by the scruff of their necks and whips them off into opposite directions. Yeah, I you know, I'm uh, we don't have the tools to do this proper kind of hell math, but I do have to say that the the math here on the strength inside of the Slayer feels a little wiggly to me. Sure, yeah. I, I feel like, especially with Turrican. Spence but... is writing the episode. Buffy's strength uh, wobbles a little bit. Yeah, yeah, a little wobbly. Um, but yeah, it's a good move. I mean, I love to see her pick up multiple evil dudes and throw them across the screen. So, I have a question that is is relevant to some 
Rona and Buffy dialogue that starts here and then kind of the thread continues throughout the episode. Personally, when I, like on previous watches of this show, I can remember being frustrated with pretty much all the potentials, similar to the way that I was frustrated with Dawn. I feel mm-hmm. like I was already attached to the core Scoobies yeah. and was like, who are, like, you know, first, who is this one new kid? And now who are all these new kids? Oh my yeah. gosh. Uh, but on this watch, I'm finding them a lot more relatable. And I think it might have something to do with the way that we talk about the show because I feel like watching in a vacuum, I'm just like, okay, I accept all the rules of the world. But <laughs> the potentials, you know, are they are so new to everything in most cases. And so they have a lot of very practical questions like you think i'm gonna get attacked again (laughs) right there will be a second attack possibly fucking rona i mean we'll go into it later but like learning in this episode that i mean this is this is a big deal for all of them but like learning that rona literally just learned that she was a fucking slayer like she didn't even have a watcher assigned to her like (laughs) and then she's just taking a bus to sunnydale and then these (laughs) eyeless dudes are attacking her like that's that's Mm -hmm. a lot it's a lot to adjust to. Rona's also a kind of functioning as the audience surrogate for people who just started the series at season seven, episode 11. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So what happens when a Slayer dies? Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah, but and to your, I mean, to that point, Jenny, though, the larger point that you were making, I thought a lot about that watching this episode, that it is so hard to come into the show at this point. So hard. Oh my and God, you're not yeah. even the only person coming in. Like, there's just... It feels like a really big decision for the show to make at this stage and also a lot of pressure on these actors because you just you you gravitate towards the things that you know as a viewer. And it's always hard, like it was with Dawn, uh, still for some of you. I'm, I've fully teamed Dawn. I love her so much. But, um, you know, there are a lot of Buffy viewers who just like fucking hate Dawn still. And it's like I and I would posit that it's because she was a newer addition to the show. You didn't get to grow with her. So this is a hard lift for these potentials. Um, But Mm -hmm. and I in a macro sense, I have that room for them. I also like enjoy I enjoy them the way that we're watching it. I'm enjoying them. But I feel like this episode in particular Everyone needed to like maybe say just a little, just a little, maybe not everyone. Eve needed to say nothing. Um, But there was a lot of, there was a lot of like um, opinions that felt like that made me feel like had I been on the Hellmouth fighting evil for seven, six seasons that I'd be like, okay, listen, I know I, I can't give you all the answers, but also I need just like a little bit more room to show you what we do here before you're like challenging everything. A lot of that came from Eve, mm-hmm. but also like I have I have a moment with Kennedy and Willow that I, I want to talk about because I, I felt upset about it. So did Willow. <laughs> okay. So. So after the credits, Kristen, do you know where we are? We're in Willow's room, formerly. We are in room. Willow's room. <laughs> Things are happening. Plans have been laid mm-hmm. and also uh, stumbling blocks to those plans have also been countered. The sleeping bag that you mentioned in last uh, week's episode is now being used for Willow to sleep in. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Willow is sleeping on the floor of her own bedroom, even though we don't know exactly. Here's something to talk about. We don't know exactly how old Kennedy is. 
But we know she is, quote, old enough that she was starting to think she was too old to be called as a slayer. And I think that they've written Kennedy to occupy space in a way that lets us know she's one of the older girls there. Yes, but probably not as old as Willow. And Willow's uh, aching back deserves to sleep in a bed. (laughs) I mean... Just one podcaster's opinion. But listen, let's think about Willow and really, like, you know what happened here is that Willow was like, I'm going to sleep on the floor. And Kennedy was like, just sleep on the bed with me. It's chill. And Willow was like, no, no, definitely I should sleep on the floor. And then probably Kennedy was like, I'll sleep on the floor if you want me to. And Willow was like, no, 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 don't do that. You should definitely take the bed. I love the floor. Like, I feel like... This is all Willow's doing and none of Kennedy's. And yeah. Willow's uncomfortable, which like, listen, I don't know. But it uh, to me, if you are not attracted to a person and you feel whatever, like you're going to share a bed with them because it's not even going to be a thing, you know? Like to me, the fact that she is so resolutely on that floor is maybe a little signal that perhaps she's picking up some vibes that she's worried she might, you know, act on. Mm. I posit it. I. Yes. Kennedy is also making a very great observation. Um, We need another bathroom. (laughs) Yeah, there's only one bathroom in this house. I guess with two doors. There's not even a half bath on the first floor of this house. This is a big house. I feel like there's got to be a half bath on the first. Right. I mean, I don't know. It it's probably was there at one point, but during one of the many attacks from various demons, like sure, sure, or up. it used to be there and then it became Don's room. <laughs> yeah. Um. So we also learned that Kennedy has many houses, and uh, one of them has mm-hmm. many wings, and the other one is a mm-hmm. house in the Hamptons. Mm-hmm. Um, Willow's like, interesting development. Interesting. Uh-huh. Go on. Um, and then Kennedy is like, but tell me about you. Kennedy has full... Listen, Yari Lamone, like, maybe she's never had a flirtatious sleepover with another girl, but she's doing a great job. I believe her in her energy. This is very much like, we're just two girls. Hang out. Mm-hmm. Tell me all of your feelings about this and that. And then, like, we could practice kissing if you want. Oh, for boys. For boys. How are you feeling about Kennedy? Kennedy, a polarizing figure in the fandom. I'm curious. Where do you stand? So I feel like it's too a little too soon for me to, like, really talk about Kennedy in the way that I want to. But what I will say is that um, I am 90% here for Kennedy. I think that I think that we are not used to having a character interact with Willow in a flirtatious way that is direct. I think we are not used to having somebody be as direct as Kennedy is this quickly, except for fucking Anya, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I also, but I also, this episode gave me a little pause because I really, really did not like the way that Kennedy talked about witchcraft um, with Willow. I thought it was, it, it didn't make sense to me, to be honest. Like it, we, we know so little about Kennedy right now, but everything that Kennedy put on the table last episode, and then 80% of what she put on the table this episode didn't really add up to her being that disrespectful towards witchcraft. She's a fucking potential slayer. She's been using a crossbow since she's eight. Why would she talk about witchcraft like this? So I, I kind of have that in like the writer gripes rather than the Kennedy gripes, but uh, do you mean when she calls it uh, new agey? 
No, I mean, sure, but that was like the least offense. She's like, show me a trick. Like, in this Kristen, scene. Kristen, you don't think she's like, show me a trick. <laughs> she doesn't say it sexily, Jenny. She says, show me a trick. Like, pull a rabbit out of a hat or whatever. whatever. You think she was being flirtatious? Uh, I think she was just like, how can I get Willow talking and keep Willow talking? And That's fine. That. And I have It some... is weird given that she is the one who seems to have like the most training and stuff. Yeah. That she seems oblivious to what's up with magic. I just think but that. But maybe she has a watcher who's, you know, Anti-magic. got a very specific. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> maybe. Because I think that like, I mean, I have a little, clearly anyone who's tried to flirt with anyone else has room for saying an inappropriate thing because you get a little stumbly and you say things you don't mean to say because you're just trying to keep the conversation going. But I just think that Kennedy probably has the tools to ask about magic in a way that would like would really engage Willow and would really get Willow to talk about witchcraft. Um, So I just I just felt a little bit upset with her in this episode for that. And the rest of what I need to say, I got to wait for Okay. Um, also, just want to cite that this actor is 26 at this moment in history. Wow. Mm-hmm. She and you know, it's like Yari holds two like she's holding two things coming to this show. She has like the Riley of it all, but like maybe even worse than Riley has it. So much worse than Riley ever could have dreamed because of having it, I think. Tara died, and it was this hugely traumatic thing for the viewers of the show, especially the queer ones. And she's also a person of color in the show. And I think that uh, there are a lot of people that may come with some assumptions about Kennedy based on that mm. fact. And so that's those are the things that like we're going to so so nod to everyone who's seen the show like we are definitely going to talk about this more. I think is what we're trying to say. Um but this is a this is already a big lift that's put on Kennedy's shoulders. Can I tell you um a little bit of trivia? Mhm. Did you know Kristen, King of the Gays, that Iari auditioned for the role of Carmen on The L Word. What? And did you also know... What? That apparently in her audition, she ad-libbed something that she whispered into Kate Monig's ear, which was something to the effect of, uh, I want to make you come over and over again with my mouth something something in that ballpark it was like uh, the effort that jenny put into making that absolutely not sexy it was so, like you really really worked for that <laughs> yes uh oh but in spanish uh that line although she did not get the role that line that she ad-libbed ended up getting written into the script are you fucking kidding me such is the legend that the internet told me last night. Wow. Great trivia. All right. Let's go downstairs. Uh, Molly <laughs> is talking to the new recruits uh, about Annabelle, RIP. Eve is already on her bullshit. Let me tell you about my goldfish fucking brain, okay? I've seen this episode in the past. I saw it in the fucking distant, like the distant past and the near past. And I still watch this whole time being like, what is with this one? I can't deal with this one. And then the reveal, I was like, oh, I forgot. Oh my God. So 
So like a lot of my notes, I kind of had to recontextualize because I was mostly like, shut up, Eve. God, Eve. <laughs> Forgetting that she was the first <laughs> the whole time. So anyway. Yeah, Eve, uh, is, Eve is sowing the seeds of doubt. Mm-hmm. Uh, these girls will simply not let Xander sleep. And they also simply will not talk loud enough for Andrew to overhear everything <laughs> they say. Rona and Buffy walk in and everyone's like, hi, Rona. It's like we're on like a children's show and like the new kid has walked in. Um, Rona, great first question. Why is that guy tied to a chair? Like Rona is being asked to process a lot all at once. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Xander, excellent uh, reply. The question you'll soon be asking is, why isn't he gagged? Um, Anya, everybody's getting home in the middle of the night. Anya and Giles get back from where they were. They've got some information. And in the meantime, Molly is put on show Rona the kitchen duty. Mm-hmm. Okay, so this is where we learn that the bringers know that the potentials are arriving in Sunnydale. Anya has spoken with the demon community. Xander, so, this, so let me tell you how I feel, Jenny, because last week you were like, I feel like two episodes... Or, like, more than one episode was smooshed into one episode. And I feel like this was less than an episode. Like, mm, you know what I mean? Yeah, a little bit. That mm-hmm. they could have really just sort of some moved some things around here. And perhaps we would have gotten, like, two great episodes. And instead we got, like, this, <laughs> I don't know. But Xander says they're a community now. Which is such a weird line from him for so many reasons. And it's also kind of like it feels like the, oh, like gays are a community now. Like it just feels Mm. like it's rooted in this weird place. I don't know why he has the line, but I just wanted to say that out loud. He also mentions the concept of a demon ladies auxiliary, which (laughs) uh, Mm. he didn't mean, but I'm on board with. Wasn't there a point in time where Xander was like a stripper for a ladies auxiliary or something? Uh, he was a stripper for ladies. <laughs> they didn't have a club? He was just a general stripper? It for was a strip ladies. club. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> uh, la- all ladies, no auxiliary. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, Giles doesn't have any answers. He doesn't know how Buffy can hurt the first. He doesn't know how she can kill the Torakan. I really feel like Eve slash the first is like just enjoying using a southern accent, you know? Like I feel like the first yeah. is really rolling around in that. Eve is like, Spack. Isn't he evil? <laughs> like it's very drawn out. Dude, also it's like the first is like realizing all through this episode that humans have eyebrows they can move <laughs> for the first time. God bless her but amanda fuller is going absolutely buck wild with her eyebrows for the entire episode go back and rewatch it you will not be disappointed oh my god so buffy tries to explain that it's complicated uh there's no better way to explain why we're trying to save spike except it's complicated and then giles bucking uh, Anya's no. Anya said, do not say this. And Giles just totally goes over her head and said, there is Bajoxa's... What is it? I spelled it wrong in my notes. Beljoxa's eye. Beljoxa's eye. I wrote Bajoxa's in this one part and got confused. But uh, Buffy, just like me, refers to it as not itself, but as Botox's eye. (laughs) Whoa. (sighs) So... This sack of eyeballs is in what is referred to as an internal vortex. 
Sure. Okay. Only demons can enter. They need to find a demon willing to do them a favor. Yeah, it shouldn't. They're like really hemming and hawing. And I'm like, really, guys? Like, I, 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 he just can't be Where's that Clem? Literally, where, where is, is Clem? Clem? Mm-hmm. Where is Clem? God, the last time Clem was asked to do something, he brought Dawn to fucking Rax. So he might not actually be oh, yeah. into it. Because that was pretty <laughs> traumatic for everyone involved. Okay. Over at the torture caves. Yes, Chanty Caves. Uh, Spike is having a little daydream about escaping his bonds and then running into Buffy and them smiling at each other. Oh, Spike. Spike fights good in general, but he fights great in his dreams. He like does this <laughs> neck snap with his legs in his dream. Oh, that yeah. Is Very really, hot. Yeah, really, really good. Um, and this begins kind of the chorus of Spike throughout the episode, which is she will come for me. And the first as Buffy now says, no, I won't. Uh, the first is such a little, such a little shit starter. There's a word I'm looking for. I swear. An imp. <laughs> I guess shit starter. We'll just have to do. Yeah. Um, how about Kristen? <laughs> The first of many, this kind of note that I have for this episode. How about the first saying, oh, Buffy doesn't believe in herself to come, uh, you know, try to fight that to get to you. And as she says that, she (laughs) gestures to to the Turrican who is just kind of pacing in an oval and who kind of like, just as she's saying that, like, it's like. It's like it reminded me of like a musical where like there's a kind of a ringleader character and then all of these like sub characters are kind of like dancing around in a circle <laughs> and then the ringleader Showtime. will be like exactly <laughs> and like that the character one of the characters will like be at the front of the the circling at that moment and like do a pose at the audience and maybe like you know a little kick or something the Turrican does exactly that uh, on cue. Uh, he he like his growls little, and mugs. His little outfit, <laughs> like I can't. The outfit gets stupider and stupider. Stupider the more I see it. and stupider. It's Kristen. I, just, I can't get. I can't wrap my head around how this was given an okay. And who not, is responsible for the Turrican? It's like the face of the Turrican is pretty bad, but like if that's all we saw with some shoulders, like maybe you could almost forgive it. But the fact that we see his little fucking body moving around all over Sunnydale, I just so it's the. I mean, I'm happy about it because I die, but in terms of like adding gravity to the fucking trouble, I ju- I just it's oh it's funny. Oof. All right, let's go hang out with Torque in the alleyway. Take me to the Sunnydale back alleys. Uh, I had so many locations in this episode. I have an alley and a street. You know, I have a kitchen and a cave. I have- wow. <laughs> so I can, yeah, there's a lot, a lot happening. So Torque is a demon that Anya decides she's going to ask to open this portal, even though the last time they've seen each other, it was when they were both invited to the same massacre and they had sex. And then Torque was in love and Anya was like, bye. A tale as old as time that almost always starts at a massacre. Yes, almost always. Uh, And Torque is like, no, like you broke my heart. How dare you come back here? I'm just minding my own business, running this facility where 
where does he work? Is it a pizza place? I don't remember, but <laughs> unclear. Says, so honestly, MVP of this fucking scene is fucking Tony Head as Giles because I can't. <laughs> He's so funny watching this exchange. He's just like, what is going to come out of this person's mouth next? And Anya's like, <laughs> if you open the portal, I'll have sex with you. And Giles' face is like, okay, okay. I mean, sure. Let's see what happens now. Let's, <laughs> just, let's see where this goes. I, I love that he's like, disgusting. You're human now. This is the most repulsive proposal I've I've ever received. And Anya says, I can't even give it away. What am I, a leper? And then Torg says... In a way where if you're not paying close attention, you might miss it. Torg says, come back when you are a leper. <laughs> I would prefer you. Yes. Oh, then our favorite fucking theme in the whole series when Anya asks Giles about her hair and if it is the thing that makes her less sexually attractive. <laughs> Giles, meanwhile, has fixed the issue because he's like, okay, how about if you don't want to have sex with Anya, maybe you should open the portal because if you don't, then the Slayer will kill you and burn your business to the ground. <laughs> and he's like, mm -hmm. okay. So in they go to the, what did I call it? An internal vortex? Of, mm -hmm, yeah, mm -hmm. what a weird name uh and it's very like when you go to the place where janet lives on the good place uh it's it's like that it feels like that like a like a total shift except for when you see janet it's usually all white and when we went to the internal vortex it is all black mm -hmm, mm -hmm. well there she is isn't she bell jocks i <laughs> who do you think bell jocks is you know? And did she have two of these at one point? And this is one detached from her body? Is there a particular reason that you are leaning towards gendering Beljoxa female? I'm just curious <laughs> if I know. missed a detail. I don't know. In the words of Dawn Summers, because girls are cooler. <laughs> uh, on BuffyFandom.com, Beljoxa's I is uh, pronounced as it. Okay. Fine. A creature. A creature made of eyeballs. <sighs> yeah, yeah, suspended for some reason up in the air. This also kind of gave me like Twin Peaksy vibes, not the eyeballs of it all, but like the rest of it. I don't know. Something about the way it was shot and like the way, I, I don't know. You, 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 you're all yeah, yeah, than me. yeah. You can tell me. I see, I see what you mean. I also was noticing, at least when they first are walking through the darkness, that perhaps in the remastering process, uh, the version that's up on Hulu has maybe been considerably lightened because you can kind of see some like floor detail <laughs> of the no. black room they're walking through. Oh, no. Because it's clearly supposed to be like they're walking through like a black void, right? Yeah. Yeah. So they find the eye and somebody says, oh, hi. <laughs> and then we cut to the kitchen. Willow answers this phone and it's someone from the coven and Willow proceeds to voice a number of questions and statements with absolutely no room for any kind of response. And you know it's not Allison Hannigan. They probably had to squish this scene into it because Allison Hannigan is a star. It's I blame <laughs> I blame the director who directed this. Allison so Hannigan has had uh, many real life phone conversations. <laughs> Famously. Yeah, but she's like asking Althina how the coven is and then she's like, what? Okay, when? And then we cut to the living room where we get our first Zandrew of the episode. That's my joystick hand, says Andrew. Xander's like, 
Nice. They, <laughs> they realized that it is not practical to leave Andrew tied to the chair at all hours. Perhaps the biggest reason being that he stinks. So he needs to take Andrew shower. is unleashed. Andrew's untied. And Buffy is like, you ever seen Misery? And Andrew, and I agree with this, says... The book is scarier than the movie because in the movie, and then he's like, I'll be good. I understand your point. (laughs) He, what Andrew is saying is that the book is scarier because in the movie, Kathy Bates cuts off the author's leg instead of like bludgeoning his leg, which she does in the movie. But I actually think, because I remember that I was like 12 when I read this book and then I watched the movie and I was very disappointed by the movie, which is not anyone's fault. I was like 12 and I didn't understand books to movies, you know? (laughs) But there is a scene in the book where the Kathy Bates character picks up, sorry, I'm so sorry, but picks up like a mouse or a rat or something and she just holds it in front of the author's face and she squishes it to death in front of him. And my 12-year-old fucking self, I threw the book. It was the first time in my whole life that I threw a book. I threw it across my bedroom and I remember it so vividly because I had never been impacted by the written word so intensely. So I agree with Andrew. Incredible to finally hear the origin story of your habit of throwing books across the room. (laughs) That's where it Often began. after ripping them out of my hands. That is where it began. Okay. <laughs> You've never seen anything funnier than when I get on a kick of taking a book out of Jenny's hand and throwing it across the room. It's a good joke, Jenny. It's, mm. a, good, it's a good joke for everyone but you. It's a fucking mm. funny fucking joke. <laughs> All right. So Willow... Willow's like, there's a potential. She's learned. She comes in and she's like, I've, this is what I've just learned from Althena. There's another potential that we missed. Her watcher was killed, um, and she's still at the Sunspot Motel. (laughs) Why? Why is it called the Sunspot Motel? It sounds like a precancerous condition. Um, (laughs) Second of all, why wouldn't they have just put the the fucking Sunnydale motor in? Maybe the Sunspot is a little nicer. Wow. What? (laughs) I know. I mean, you're right. If it's on watcher's money, probably be able to stay at a slightly nicer place. Okay. So Xander and Buffy go to get this potential. Dawn makes a comment to Willow. She's like, I'm not, you know, like, I understand that they're all here and whatever, but I'm not sure that having a bunch of scared Slayer wannabes translates as help. And she's and she I mean, in, at least in the writing of the story, she's right at this point. Like, they should be a little bit more skilled than we're seeing them to be. But they are very scared and they are they're not really helping. They're kind of just there to be protected. Yeah. And Eva's up to no good. Oh, why are we bothering? None of us. None of us is prepared. (laughs) And so on. Yeah, this is where my first note is, Eve, shut the fuck up, because I still, in my notes, have not realized. <laughs> Kristen. <laughs> and, oh, my God. Um, we learn that, Ro- this is where we learn what I said earlier, that Rona never had a watcher. She only just learned that she was a slayer. Um, and then, basically, they're talking about, like, this one, oh, it's like a one-in, one-out mathematical equations. To to your point, Jenny, perhaps catch the new viewers up to speed. Mm-hmm. Vi is like, I heard there's more than one Slayer. And we're all like, yes, Vi. Can you ask anyone why that Slayer yes, is not go here? Yes, go get her. Please, someone go get her. 
The one exchange in this scene that resonated with me, I mean, it all resonated with me, but the the thing that stuck with me the most was when Chloe says uh, to the group, I guess, generally, like, well, it can't be. They're talking about, like, basically, if if Buffy dies, one of us is going to get called. And then if that person dies, another one of us is going to get called. Like, the numbers are getting smaller, and, like, this is a lot to, to hold. And Chloe is like, well, it couldn't be me because I'm too young. I think Chloe is meant to be the youngest of the bunch. Yeah, for sure. For um, sure. And Kennedy says it doesn't work like that. The younger, the better, which is, like, a very jarring thing it's a truth that is the truth um but it's just like very jarring to hear her say that and to realize that Mm -hmm. like oh like it's actually not about protecting young people at all it's like if you're younger then you might have more fight and you great go to battle yeah yeah who built this system (laughs) um oh we have a jingle for that the patriarch This is also, of course, where Kennedy mentions, oh, how old she's getting. Right. She's so old that she's age-appropriate dating material for the <laughs> core cast of the show, probably, oh, we think. Oh, God. That reminds me of how many times Connor Angel says that he's 18 over in that universe. <laughs> Which doesn't make it okay. No, it'll never be okay. <laughs> um, all right. The Sunspot Motel. Hey, Jenny, what room do they knock on? Room 25. And you know what mathematical equation comes out to 25? Five times five. <laughs> wow. Job. I know. Uh. Buffy knocks on the door, but Xander is peering through the blinds and he's like, kick the door down. There's a girl lying on the ground. Now, it's very interesting. Kristen, when they enter the room, she's lying with her hand next to her head Mm. but then in the very next shot her arm is extended down Mm. to her waist just a heads up this body might not be as dead as it looks (laughs) but it's just a a blooper it's dead it's as it looks eva's dead eva's been dead also like it's (gasps) it's eve it's Eve. Oh, no. This is great. Like, watching this if you're me and at any point in time or watching this for mm-hmm. the first time if you're any other person, that's a good <laughs> reveal. And also a great prank from the first. Good job, buddy. Like, that's smart. That's real smart. You got to give this guy credit where it's due. Yeah, that's a good spicy trick. So um, back in the basement, Eve is busy on her business. I don't think the Slayer can protect us from the first. We go upstairs for this exchange between Andrew and Dawn that I don't understand why it's there, which is uh, my supporting evidence to Mm. perhaps some of the overage from Bring on the Night could have been put into showtime. showtime. And we would have, (laughs) you know, a little bit of more balance here. But, you know, Andrew, it's it's fun. Like, you like to see these two fucking around. Uh, Andrew's like, why is the Slayer always a girl? Dawn says girls are cooler. And then we get a great line from Dawn. Buffy said, I'm allowed to kill you if you talk too much. (laughs) Yes, tread carefully, Andrew, but he cannot stop talking. He just wants uh, to interact. Yeah, also, this was how I learned that the James Bond franchise is owned by a family called the Broccolis. (laughs) Wait, 
that's what's up? Yes, because he's like, blah, 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 Timothy Dalton, blah, 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 the broccolis. And Don is like, is there a language that you're speaking? And I wasn't sure because I'm not a James Bond person yet. I have not been introduced to Bond, James Bond. That I was like kind of thinking I was probably a James Bond guy, and it was. And so then I Googled <laughs> Timothy Dalton broccoli, and I found that the broccoli family owns the James Bond movies and there's more to it because I think Timothy Dalton might have dated one of the lady broccolis. Uh-oh. <laughs> anyway, I just like, I can't believe that I've lived this long and no one told me that there was A, a family called the broccolis and B, that they're so important that they own the James Bond franchise. Wow. Yeah. Did you say that they're so important that they own the James Bond franchise? <laughs> yeah. Is that is that how it? <laughs> yeah, works? they're like the broccoli seem like a big deal. Let's give them James Bond. <laughs> yeah. Today's episode is brought to you by Regal Cinemas. If you're anything like me, you deeply enjoy going to the movies. Going to the movies is probably among my top three all-time activities. I love seeing films on the big screen. I also love being around other people who are watching the same movie with me at the same time. And of course, I love eating giant buckets of popcorn. If you feel the same and you like going to the theater, Regal Unlimited is something that just makes sense. Regal Unlimited is the all-you-can-watch movie subscription pass. It pays for itself in two movie visits. You can see any standard 2D movie anytime, no blackout dates, no restrictions. When you want to watch a movie in 4DX or IMAX or RPX or ScreenX, there's so many ways to watch movies these days, your Regal Unlimited membership gets you into those premium experiences at a reduced cost. And with Regal Unlimited, you don't only save money on the tickets, you will also save on your snacks. And as previously mentioned, I love snacks. The only thing that can make me love a snack more is saving money on buying a snack. Members get 10% off of all non-alcoholic concession items with membership. Regal Unlimited, all you can watch movie subscription pass. It pays for itself in two visits. So if you're planning to see two movies this month, join Regal Unlimited and sign up now. You can sign up in the Regal app or on regmovies.com slash unlimited. Sign up for Regal Unlimited using code buffering and earn 10% off your three-month subscription. Please let us know about all of the movies you see and how the popcorn is. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Martha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. All right, so this scene... <laughs> 
this scene ends. First of all, Andrew's impressed with the fact that Buffy, that Don has been given a license to kill. That's how Timothy Dalton gets brought up in the first <laughs> yeah. place. So um, this scene ends with Don being like, you know what? If you feel so alone, you shouldn't have killed your friend, which is kind of sad. Um, because like, you know, as much as Andrew's a little shit, he is dealing also with a lot. Uh, and he shouts after Don as she leaves, you want to play Kevin Bacon? <laughs> Andrew going for like 50 laughs in a row for me, if you're me watching this episode, because then Buffy enters and she's like frantic. Dude, she's all puffed up. She busts in. The first place she looks is at the couch where Andrew has his (laughs) shoes on the upholstery and very rapidly takes them off and is like brushing the cushions and is like nothing to see here. And Buffy's like, ugh. Yeah, her uh is what got me. I'm like, you know, like she here she is. She knows the first is in her home. She's trying to save like 400 girls from dying. And she still has time for one like, oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> anyway, down to the basement she goes. Get the fuck away from them is what she would have said if this was on HBO. But it's not. So she just says, get away from them. Eve. Eyebrow bonanza. Oh, my God. This is jazz hands. just like jazz hand upon jazz hand okay you're gonna have a visitor tonight you should show him your manners before he rips you to pieces and then she like extends her arms and goes bye (laughs) and zaps away and then yeah it's um some of you might not have ever had a non-flat screen tv in your home (laughs) but this is what it used to look like when you would turn the tv off it would blip down to a tiny white light that would Ooh, uh, go away. And I'm like me who was laughing at him so recently. I'm like, where's big horn demon? You're going to make your grand exit, but you're not going to bust out your huge green horn demon thing that you love to do with CGI. Maybe somebody else was in the writer's room and said, maybe we've done that enough. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> Now all I want is for one of you smart, smart people to email us at bufferingthevampireslayer at gmail.com and explain why that happens when you turn off the TV and why it doesn't happen anymore. Oh, and does it have to do with the same thing that makes it so that a duck hunt gun from the original NES doesn't work on modern televisions? Yes. Tell us. Tell us. Tell us. Oh, Give my us God. Are you ready for a fucking sound clip of what it sounds like when a ball of eyes talks? Because that's what you're going to get. Here you go. It cannot be fought. It cannot be killed. The first evil has been and always will be. Since before the universe was born, long after there is nothing else, it will go on. I refuse to believe that. There must be some way to destroy it. Okay. Okay. So this guy... Sorry, at first it was a girl, now it's a guy. Jenny said it's not, it doesn't have a this gender. This creature. This creature speaks being. by uh, thinking, seeing, I don't know. But his voice booms uh, amidst mm. the... Yeah, is this the first, is this actually the first instance of telepathy in the episode? Yes, this precedes the other telepathy. <laughs> So Giles, so also I just feel like I want to give more credit again here to um, Emma Caulfield and Tony Head because they're just standing in an empty box and they're being told 
that they need to respond as though something is like something big is happening. And I, I don't know. It's been a long time since I did any acting myself, but I just feel like Tony had, especially Tony Head's commitment to this is like probably the only thing that's keeping the scene, not from just like falling apart, you know, he's yeah. really committed. He's talking back to the eye and he's like, I refuse to believe that there's no way to destroy this. And then the eye is like, the eye does not see the future, only the truth of the now and before. And Anya says, we all have that. It's called memory. Like, touche. Oh, yeah. Touche, Anya. Yeah, what's, what's this eye all hopped up about? Uh, but we learn more again like we're really in this like very sticky center of the season because we're just exposition on exposition we learn now from the eye that there's a disruption in the mystical something something around the slayers the first didn't do this the first didn't cause the disruption but is basically capitalizing on the fact that there is a disruption they ask what caused the disruption the Slayer. Dun, dun, dun. Ring, 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 ring. Back in the dining room, the potentials are freaking out. <laughs> they are stressed. They're arguing about the first. They're arguing about the Turrican. They are bringing up some solid points and asking some good questions about their potentially imminent deaths. Yeah. While they all freak out together, the adults unbeknownst to the viewer until a little later in the episode, go and have a little telepathic conference in the kitchen. Yeah. I actually, again, having no this idea. This is just something that happens? Yeah, like, we haven't really seen this happen in a long time and never, like, this, like, controlled. Um, but Yeah, okay. casual. Yeah, super casual. Interesting. Um, but when you don't know that this is what's happening, what you think, if you're me, is happening is that they're really sad. Like, that's when I watched this and I didn't know that telepathy was happening. I was just like, they have been, Buffy especially, but they've been put in this position where basically all these young girls are at their house to die. And like... Yes, and they know because it's season seven, guys. They know that, like, even if they win the battle, that some of these girls, they've already lost Annabelle and they know they're going to die. Why are you laughing at me? <laughs> sorry, I'm just thinking about the Turrican walking. <laughs> I'm so sorry. It's going to happen so soon. Never apologize. I've never used more all caps in any of my notes. Um, but let me finish my thought, which is that when you don't know the telepathy is happening, it still makes sense because it's pretty sad and it's a lot of pressure and the girls aren't wrong for being terrified and having a lot of questions and Buffy and Willow and Xander aren't wrong for needing to leave the room. Like if that were the yeah. reality, it would also make sense. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, so Eve, the, the first has stayed in Eve, which is fun. Yeah. The first loves this form and the first is like, showtime. <laughs> The first says, go kill everybody to the Turrican. And the Turrican is only too pleased uh, to do this bidding. He can't even believe his luck, the Turrican. Like, he just he has <laughs> landed the job of a lifetime. He is stuck under the seal of Danzel Thorpe for, like, one bajillion years. And now look at him go. <laughs> <laughs> so off the Turrican goes. Can't wait to see him again. Can't wait to see him again. 
Um, Spike is there in the Chanty Cave, and now the first knows that it's time to be Buffy again, um, uh, just to fuck with Spike. Oh my God. Have you ever seen a house that has a lot of pink flamingos on the lawn? Because that's what this looks like, except it's the bringers. (laughs) (laughs) There's a million bringers on the front lawn. Everywhere. They are uh, scary Halloween decorations at your neighbor's house. They are gigantic lawn gnomes (laughs) sprung to life size. We haven't really talked a ton about the bringers. And I want to say that I think that they are very, very brilliantly designed. Like the, the, the... Horror of the of the bringer appearance, I think, is really effective. And I and I also um, have a question about are they people? What a great question. <laughs> Let's see. Shall we? <laughs> so what's cool about the bringers is that their full title is actually Harbingers of Death. Nice. And they they self-reference as the we. <laughs> Ooh, I knew I liked these guys. These beings are seemingly former humans that have been corrupted by the first and transformed through rituals that included self-mutilations. Interesting. So they have to cut their own eyes out? Oh my God, do you think that the fucking Botox eye is made of all the bringer's eyes? Holy shit! No. No. But what if it is? I'm just saying there's a lot of missing eyes and then there's a lot of eyes. So like. Yeah, but those eyes are of a variety of sizes, Kristen. So are the bringers. Kind of. No. But they were before they became. Okay, let's move along. Okay. So the bringers are on the front lawn and Buffy explains they're not trying to get in. They are here. This is terrifying. They're here to make sure we don't get out. That's worse. I think that's worse. (laughs) Yeah, Um, it's pretty bad. We're at the hand out the weapons part of the episode. Rona gets a sword. There's a fun joke about what's the point. It's the part at the bottom. Who cares? <laughs> Kennedy gets your favorite weapon. Oh, this, so far, my least favorite thing about Kennedy is that she's a fucking crossbow person. You know what? I like this for Kennedy. And mostly I like it because she's like, yeah, I've been using one of these since I'm eight. And I'm like, hell Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. Uh, Andrew says to Buffy, he's asking for a weapon. He's like, I have a right to defend myself if you say so. <laughs> a lot of really Andrew is really making the most of his time in this in this app. Yeah, Tom Lank Tom just Lank. going for it. The faces, what he says, what he doesn't say, mm-hmm. what he looks like when he's not saying it. He's he's really a brilliant comedic performer because his his deliveries are great but his timing is just chef's kiss so good yeah andrew gets holy water did you see that he gets a bottle of holy water yeah he gets holy water so in the hallway while all this is happening willow is saying to herself facing my fear facing my fear facing my fear she's just using a little bit of magic try to like psych herself up so she can do a little more magic and not be afraid and this is the scene that I really don't like um, between the two of them. It, it takes a hard turn when we cut outside in a minute. But before we cut outside, Kennedy is like, I heard you were like big, you know, big and scary. And I'd almost like. No, see- no, no. She says, I'm so sorry, but you have to endure this actual line. Okay. Heard this voodoo turned you into the big scary. Ugh. Uh, I hate every 
syllable of this sentence. It's just like it doesn't make sense to me why they would have written these lines for Kennedy, knowing that Kennedy is trying to fill the shoes of Tara. Like, I mean, not literally, but like that, like Kennedy is clearly hitting on Willow. And the last time that Willow was with somebody, it was with fucking Tara. Like, how dare they write Kennedy lines that are this shitty to magic? They didn't need to do that. They didn't need to do that to her. It feels, I don't like it. It's just a bad line. It's a bad line. There's, There are, yeah. There's... People are getting high on their own banter mm-hmm. supply yeah. in the writer's room. So right now, Willow puts Kennedy, you know, kind of in her magical place by saying, like, no, you wouldn't. Like, let's just be really clear. Like, I might joke about things or be light about things or avoid things, but I'm not going to do any of that with this. Like, you need to fucking know this is not an area that you are to joke with me about. Um, And then Kennedy, to her credit, kind of like does a decent job pivoting because then Willow opens up a little more. She talks about how she's really afraid because the last time she did something magical, the first got inside of her so much so that she could taste it. Ugh. And then, like, this is a great, this is a good line for Kennedy, you know? How did evil taste? It just brings a little levity where Willow wanted it, kind of chalky. That's nice. Why did you give us the first bit, writers? Why did you do that? We don't like it. No, thanks. Oh, my God. Are you ready? Here he comes. Buckle up. <laughs> please, I please tweet cannot. us. With, please tweet at us with your videos that have random songs put <laughs> over the Turrican entering the scene in this clip. Please. Or just send us ideas and we'll do it because this is an entrance. There are so many instances of the Turrican walking... <laughs> Like a, doing a power walk, doing like a <laughs> except with his arms pinned firmly to his sides, giving him kind of like a almost like crab like appearance. It's really unlike anything we ever have seen in the show. This is, I mean, truly the last time I remember feeling this full of laughter for a, a, a costuming <laughs> was like was like werewolf, the the original werewolf costume. You know what I mean? <laughs> you gotta go back. Or, or maybe laugh. the snake. Oh yeah, the, the snake. very big and snake. Course, the snake. <laughs> oh my god! Please give me, just let me see them all together at a dance. You know, like let me see the werewolf, the snake, and Turrican dancing together. It's all I want in my life. He cut- wow, yes. The reason it's like as funny as it is is also because the bringers are like so reverent. So they're like clearing the path for him. It's just like so dramatic. <laughs> oh God. Okay. So on to the rest of the episode. Willow creates a barrier, which we learn later is really just a decoy. Um, <gasps> she is clearly able to create a bigger barrier than she's created, but this works well. It holds off the Turrican for a minute. Um, she is seeming to feel pain from this. Kennedy is the first one to be like, she's not okay. Like, this is not okay. Um, and Buffy's like, all right, we need to run. So they run. <laughs> Two year crossbow doubt. Mm, one of the only bringers killed is killed by a crossbow from Kennedy. And I celebrate that. And then Xander almost dies. Buffy hey! saves, yeah, Buffy saves Xander. And then the Turrican breaks through the barrier and we cut to Giles and Anya sort of like 
like when you when you walk when you're when you're at the airport and you're walking on oh, one of yeah. those moving things and then you get to the place where it stops and you're like whoa <laughs> it's like yeah apparently that's what it feels like when you come out of the introverted vortex what is it called <laughs> inverted vortex okay it's it's a it's not a vortex that doesn't want to talk to you all the time. It's just inverted. Yeah. <laughs> so they're they're just going over their notes from their meeting with the big ball of eyes, uh, and letting us know that the vulnerability in the Slayer line is not because Buffy died, but because she lives again. And Anya's like, oh, so it's my Xander's, Tara's, and Willow's faults. Yeah. And whoops, whoops. And she says, so it would have been better if Buffy stayed dead. (laughs) Anyway, on the street, not to be confused with the alley where our last scene was, according to my notes, (laughs) everyone is running. Willow and Xander are going to take everyone except for Buffy to a safe location so that she can try to fight the Turrican again. This is where the strength of Buffy and the strength of the Turricons start to get wiggly for me <laughs> because. Yeah. And well, yeah. Why does she think now's the time? Like, why does she think, OK, I can do it now? Well, right. And I guess like I guess her only job is to like hold him off for long enough for them to get to the place. I don't really. I understand part of the plan, but not all of the plan. Um, But it does feel like. He was an und. He was a glory level foe, just like last episode, and so it's a little bizarre to see her kick his ass and eventually kill him without that much. I mean, you know that it's a good fight, but it's not like what we were led to believe this guy could do. Yeah, it's like it seems like it only happens because Buffy needs it to happen. Yeah, you know. And maybe there's something there, like maybe there's something more there, um, but I just found it to be a little inconsistent, um, but it's all right. It's season seven, guys. You know, we got some good bits and we got some inconsistent bits and we're here for all of them. <laughs> um, yes. Couple updates. Couple updates. Uh, Buffy, when, when Buffy splits up from the group, she takes Andrew's holy water and then while she's fighting the Turrican, she smashes the bottle in his face and it, it burns his face. So we know that uh, Turrican, vulnerable to holy water, mm-hmm. not vulnerable to a two foot flying kick, noted. Nope. Uh, after she burns his face with holy water, he runs after her again with his little arms pinned to his sides. <laughs> It's like, oh, it's like a toy. Do you ever have a toy where you like wind it up and then its little feet like uh-huh. unwa- like walk as the thing unwinds? Yeah. It's kind of like that. <laughs> Fast feet, no no movement otherwise. And then they're like fighting and a little bit. But then basically the Turrican is like, bye, like just kind of <laughs> bounces. And Buffy's like, uh. Hmm. Luckily, they all had a plan the whole time. Andrew says to Xander, climbing is not my thing. And Xander says to his boyfriend, Andrew, I'm going (laughs) to come up there and drop your ass. (laughs) Uh, Andrew also still harping on like why Buffy is the leader of the group. (laughs) Uh, Willow instructs everyone to spread out and take positions. What does this mean? What positions? What positions? 
I, what? There is no answer to that question. No one knows. No one knows. It seems like at first I was like, I guess they're making another barrier and maybe they all need to stand on the perimeter, but it is not explained. There is no answer. They notice that their friend Turakan has joined the party. <laughs> My note then... in all caps is I cannot with this fucking thing. <laughs> Uh, and then all of the big floodlights turn on because I guess the little balcony where Buffy is hiding about to make her appearance also is where the light switches are. <laughs> she I, For a second, I was like, wait, do they fake him out because he thinks it's sunlight? Like, does that really happen? I was so confused. No, she's just like, showtime. <laughs> Um, uh, the Turricon th- makes me laugh the same way, you know, um, is it Kristen Wiig who does the SNL character with the, with the doll hands in her sleeves? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It gets me the same way. Okay. All right. So yeah, Buffy's like, showtime. She's then- like, showtime. And she does a totally superfluous flip yeah, in the for air. Sh- first for show. Cause and she's like. I'm the thing monsters have nightmares about. And then the Turrican is like, I'll see you and raise you. Here's yet another completely useless cartwheel. <laughs> uh, Jenny, don't forget that Willow gives us the title. Uh, she turns to the potentials and says it's showtime. <gasps> I'm going to let you get away with that delivery because that's, you know, Willow does different. Say it I like did we dip- do. Yeah, it, it felt different because it, yeah. You were saying it in quotes. Yes, exactly. Um, so, yeah. And you said it already, but we get uh, a quote that is very famous from the series. Uh, she's it, Buffy's basically saying to Turrican, like, the potentials have been waiting. They've been having nightmares. But I'm the thing that monsters have nightmares about. And then my actual favorite part of this line is, and you and I are going to show them why. <laughs> Hot. <laughs> Welcome to the Thunderdome. Andrew, who has just been waiting for the opportunity to be like, two men enter, only one will leave. <laughs> um, Dawn, Detective Dawn, figures it out. And she's like, Willow, you guys planned this. <laughs> Willow. She's really impressed, as she should be. Yeah, yeah. Then we get to oh see. Oh, my God. Oh, yes. Yes, what happened? No, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to say, we get to see the scene again with the telepathy over the top of it. So we know now what was happening when we saw the scene the first time. Yep, 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 yep. Then you know what we get to see? A pole vault? The pole vault followed by Torakon doing so many Batman jumps. So many jumps with his knees up to his chest and his arms up high. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Torakon loves doing that jump. Not for any particular reason, just because, just as like an expression of the joy of life. It's nice that he had such a good time before he died, you know? (laughs) He died doing what he loves. He did. Batmaning around and (laughs) running around with his arms pinned to his eyes. (laughs) Um, Something that I just want to say, it doesn't really matter if the order at this point, but like, the biggest thing that we get from the telepathic conversation that we overhear is the idea that the potentials are starting, not starting, just continuing to doubt Buffy and the ability that she has and that the mm-hmm. Scoobies have to win. 
And so the entire point here is not to kill the Khan. It's to get the confidence of the potentials and get them to believe, you know, like that you you mm-hmm. can't you can't have fight in you if you don't believe. And so, yeah, I have like a little bit because it is it is a real move to be like, OK, so here's the Turrican and I could probably kill him by myself. But I also have all these other fighters here and we could probably definitely if I could kill him by myself, then probably all of us could kill him a lot easier. So I, I had a little pause at first about like that choice just from like a you know, power perspective, organizing perspective. Like, oh, Buffy's, Buffy just has to show them that she can do it all by herself. But I came around to it because I do think that this was that this was necessary. Some version of this was necessary. They needed the, like, locker room speech. And in Buffy the Vampire Slayer, this is that, you know? This is how you get the team rallied and ready to go and, and to believe that they actually can beat evil. They have to see it. So I support it. Yeah, she's very inspirational. And really, Kristen, what's more inspirational than finding some wire laying around at a construction site and using it to garrote the head off of uh, a super vampire? I'm sorry, Am what? I saying the word garrote correctly? What is that G-A-R-O-T-T-E. Word? I don't know it, so I can't help you. What does it mean? A wire cord or apparatus used to strangle someone. Oh, my God. It has a does it only become that when you do that? Is it just a cord before that? But then if you use it. Exactly. Here's here's a here's a in use that will show you exactly what's going on in terms of when something becomes a garrote. (laughs) He had been garroted with piano wire. Oh, okay. Also, if it's if it's like garroted, I I will be so embarrassed. Also, there's only one. Wait, is there one T or two? Oh, there's some disagreement. I'm so sorry if if it's if it's garroted and garrot, and I'm saying garrote. Um, garrote sounds better because it's uh, on a throat. (laughs) Garrote on the throat. Yes. Uh. Wow. Well, I learned a new word today, so that's exciting. Yeah. Did you learn how to say it, though? Only nope. time. Only our inbox will tell. Yes. Um. So Buffy, yes, beheads this guy. He becomes a, po- a big pile of ash, you know, like an ancient pile yeah. of ash. An unnameable, can't Google that ash kind of ash is what we see. And Buffy's like, yeah, it's going to be hard, right? It's going to be painful. But what I needed you to see is that in the end, it's going to be us. And then (sighs) she says, here endeth the lesson. Well, well, well. This is the third time we've heard here endeth the lesson in Buffy Mm -hmm. Vampire Slayer. The first time I don't put that much clout into, right? It's the first time we hear the master say it. So maybe Spike picked it up from the master. They hung out a bunch. Mm. Fine. But when Spike says it, this is like, and I don't know, I haven't unpacked it, but it's just like when Spike says it, this is uh, Fool for Love, season five, episode seven. And he's talking to Buffy in the alleyway, basically about how she has a death wish. Like that's the, that's like the core of it, right? Um, The only reason that you've lasted as long as you have, he says, is you've got ties to the world. Your mom, your brat kid sister, the Scoobies, they all tie you here, but you're just putting off the inevitable. Sooner or later, you're going to want it. And the second, the second that happens, and then everyone who knows the show very well can see Spike clapping his hands, you know Mm -hmm. I'll be there, right? 
It's it's about like Buffy's death wish as the moment that she will fail. And so I don't know, you know, and maybe I'm just one of those people laying on a lot of stuff to what was just a simple like, oh, that would be fun if she said that thing the way that he said. But mm-hmm. I they just think it's interesting because right now and especially after last week, we're kind of looking at she doesn't have a death wish at this point, but she is willing to die. And she, and she she is like really at a place where she's like, if I'm going out, I'm going out kicking. I'm going out screaming. And I just wonder if there's any connection there because this is such a big speech from Spike in season five. Um, and it feels like a really big moment in season seven. So I would personally love to hear your thoughts on like how these two things connect or if you don't think they connect at all and it's just a turn of phrase. My thoughts? Yours as well as the listeners. Yeah. Do you have thoughts? I think it's incidental. Incidental, but like they know they it's a repeat, but it's just like meant as an incidental repeat. They couldn't have accidentally put that line in again. I don't know. Maybe I'm maybe I'm not giving credit where credit is due, but I, I just don't feel like there's enough yeah. connective, connective tissue, tissue for it to really be a thing. Yeah. It could just be that Spike picked it up from the master and Buffy picked it up from Spike, and now it's just something that people in Sunnydale say. Mm-hmm. But I know some of you want to give me a reason. So Yeah, right. Do right in. Do right in. There's the first is Eve. <gasps> Still wearing Eve's face. Does not care for this turn of events with her mad little face. Oh, my God. She was like, you had one fucking job, man. One. Mm-hmm. And now you're Ash. Now you're gone. And now no one, notably, is guarding the Chanty Cave. Where Spike oh. is. No, Kristen, it's fake Buffy bot all over again. It is. It's like the same. I thought of you so much because it is like the exact, exact scene as Buffy bot is not Buffy bot. It's Buffy. Yeah. They're like, oh, you know what we should do? Hurt Jenny's feelings. Yeah. So Buffy, real Buffy. And we kind of know right away because she's got like a <laughs> a butterfly on her cut face, um, like a butterfly bandage, you know, and mm-hmm. she walks over and he's like a knife now is it you're just a figment and then my notes stop and I just write oh no I know oh she no cuts. he touches her shoulder and he's uh. like oh and then they look at each other in this very specific way <sighs> they're like they're both almost weeping and not and it is a lot to hold and you know that spike has lasted in this place for so long just repeating to himself over and over again i know she'll come i know she'll come we've heard him do it we've seen him do it oh my god almighty and they and they give us like the whole walk as they walk out with her like holding him up and he's limping it's just nice choice lot and it is like a bookend to that scene with the Buffy bot and um, the, the non-Buffy bot because it's it's like how far we've come you know because that was powerful but this is like a whole this is in a whole other league yeah yeah she saved him guys I know he only survived because he knew she believed in him ah how dare they how dare they indeed It's just, you know, I was thinking at the end of the episode, like, this is what this show does well, right? Like, this is its fucking lane. It's, like, emotional first, 
monsters second. And I think when it's mm-hmm. monsters first, which is like the, what we're seeing with the Turkan, what we saw with the yes. great big snake, it gets a little silly in a way that doesn't quite jive with the rest of the storytelling because the the moments that count in this show are just, you know, it's like, it's wild to me that between Bring on the Night and Showtime, we got the it'll choke on me monologue and also the line, I'm the thing that monsters have nightmares about. Two of the biggest quotes in the series, but they're encased in these episodes that also have a lot of things where you're like, what is happening right now? Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. And that's why you have to watch season seven, even <laughs> even though <laughs> da da da. I don't envy anyone who has to write a last season of a hit show. I'll tell you the. Fuck oh my why. god, no! Because no, because no, no, it, no, no, no. it seems near impossible, and you have to take big. Like you really have to swing big in ways where you're also gonna miss big in ways. So yeah. Anyway, Jenny, uh, you know, speaking of swinging big, <laughs> before before we go over to my little den of iniquity um i have a question that i want to ask you and the listeners mm. the, t- the torah Khan is is now dead so perhaps this is a moot point but has anyone considered has anyone just thought maybe for a minute about like trying to love torah Khan? like give him a hug yeah i bet you not jenny well i guess it's too late now we can't <laughs> But if you're out there and you ever come upon a Turrican in the wilderness, mm-hmm. maybe like give him a cookie, or maybe maybe don't. Maybe that that could end poorly, and then we'd somehow be liable. Oh no! Could we be liable for Turrican attacks? Fuck. Uh, unclear. <laughs> okay, now let me take you away mm-hmm. to a very special place, just for us. Can't wait. I wouldn't say this is the sexiest episode of the series. Probably. <laughs> it's not the least sexiest, I can tell you that much. <laughs> also true. <laughs> Somewhere in the middle, in slot number one, continuing on their fiery, not yet anything, but hopefully soon something path from last episode, it's Zandrew continued. Ugh. Oh, Don't fuck up his did. joystick hand. Exactly. Uh, in slot number two, reminding me of a lot of sleepover drama from my youth. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's uh, Kennedy and Willow. What will they get up to? Will they ever sleep on the same surface? Can't wait will, to find out. Will, will they ever try to smoosh into one sleeping bag together? Mm. In slot number three, now... It's hard to conceptualize the first evil in its non-corporeal form, and it's hard to conceive of smooshing something that is incorporeal into a slot. Mm -hmm. And it's also perhaps equally hard for us to conceive of what exactly it is that we're trying to accomplish with this slot, but there's something going on with, like, the first and Eve. And we're not going to say what it is, but we're just going to say that it is. You know what I mean? (laughs) The first just seems to be, like, real into Eve, you know? Yeah. The first There's has this... reasons to use Buffy and use Spike and all this stuff, but Eve? 
after a certain point, there's no reason to keep wearing that face. No, the first loves it. The first loves being a Southern belle. (laughs) And in slot number four, we simply couldn't let him go without bringing him into the fold, even though we had very little to work with. Sometimes Leo gets the Oscar for The Revenant, not because it's his best work, but because it's just time for Leo to have an Oscar. You know what I mean? (laughs) So in that spirit, we'd like to offer up slot number four to Turrican and his OTP grand entrances. Oh, Turrican, I hope in the great beyond somebody tries to give you a hug, buddy. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Rest in peace. If you would like to cast a vote in this episode's Sexual Tension Awards, please come on over and find the poll on our Twitter at BufferingCast. Make your voice heard in this very, very important, this vital democratic process. Well, Jenny, that was an episode. Kristen, do you know what is true now? What's no, no, no. What's true? We are now 50% of the way through season seven. Keep it in the words of Ira <laughs> Madison. <laughs> okay. Uh, okay. We are. We're halfway through. And I mean, what is going to happen next? Truly, the, things just keep getting wilder and wilder. But at least we don't have to deal with Turrican anymore. Um, and now, <laughs> I guess now that Turrican's gone, we have to just deal with the bringers on the first. Yeah, or maybe it'll just become more of a, a drama about uh, an increasingly jam-packed house full of gals uh, getting <laughs> to know one another, overcoming their differences. The real world, Sunnydale. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, I just realized that this whole time the first has the full ability to be Turrican. <laughs> so, oh yeah, could the first be like a dinosaur? Yeah. Is it like anything that has died? I think so. I mean, because where's the also, line? What it's a like weird if, rule for the first. The first evil. Can, it's like if the first can be Spike, then the first should be able to be Turrican. And if the first can be Turrican, then the first probably can be a dinosaur. The, Why is t- Turrican is closer s- to a dinosaur than to Spike, honestly. Right. Just like the fact that the first could just be like squawking around as a pterodactyl right now. Like maybe it needs to get its priorities <gasps> straight. The fact that the first could get a bringer to go to a payphone and call Buffy's house, and then the first could be saying stuff in Angel's voice to Buffy. <gasps> yes. I know. Okay. So I, before this conversation, I thought the first was really smart. And now I'm like, actually, you could probably do better. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the first just isn't thinking as creatively as we'd like. <laughs> All right. Well... That'll do it for us. 7-Eleven. Go, go get a Sprite from a fountain. You know what I mean? That's what 7-Eleven makes me think of. <laughs> Sprite and 7-Eleven are two totally different sodas. 7-Eleven isn't a soda. 7-Eleven is a store. Oh, my God. I'm thinking of 7-Up. <laughs> oh, yeah. 
We got to get out of here. We we normally we really tape do. we normally tape at like ten in the morning, and today we taped at four p.m. And this is what happens. Yeah, We're devolving. It's the end of the day. <laughs> you got an end of the day podcast this week. Yeah, wild. Imagine a nighttime podcast. No. I'd rather not. No. Uh, hey, I'm Jenny Owen Youngs, and when I'm not making this podcast. I write and record a lot of music, and sometimes I perform that music, and that is something I will be doing very soon. Uh, on the West Coast with friend of the pod, Rishi K. Shearway, we are playing shows in Seattle, Portland, San Francisco, and Los Angeles. You can find tickets and info at JennyOwenYoungs.com. And while you're waiting for those dates to come around after you have obtained your spicy little tickets, uh, you can pass the time by listening to my music on your favorite digital music platform uh and by uh talking to me on social media at jenny owen youngs sometimes i also perform music by jenny owen youngs that's true do you want me to that's perform? true oh also i stream live on twitch almost every week and sometimes Kristen pops by in the chat it's very fun so you should i'm only uh, in the chat so you can't twitch. tell i'm singing the songs but i am <laughs> I'm like, make it a clean break, make it a fast cut. What the fuck was I? Ding, 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 ding. Oh, that's very good. Thank you. Like... I do a medley. It's like the Britney Spears medley mashup, but it's all Jenny Owen Young songs. <laughs> good, good, good. Great. <laughs> Just what the people wanted. Um, my name is Kristen Russo. You can learn about the work that I do when I'm not talking about Buffy or performing Jenny Owen Young's songs, which is I talk to people, workplaces specifically, uh, about being good to LGBTQ employees. And my favorite thing is talking to workplaces about how the employees can be good to their LGBTQ children. Uh, you can learn more about the talks that I give and the work that I do on my website, kristinnoline.com. That's K-R-I-S-T-I-N-N-O-E-L-I-N-E. And you can use that spelling to also find me on Twitter and on Instagram. Buffering, the Vampire Slayer, is on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at BufferingCast. And you can email us at BufferingTheVampireSlayer at gmail.com. If you'd like to support the work that we do, you can do that on Patreon. Just go to patreon.com slash BufferingCast or find all of this information on our website, BufferingTheVampireSlayer.com. You can also rate and review us on iTunes. If you want, you could also rate and review us. What are you singing over there? I was just singing a backing track. You can also rate and review us um, on iTunes, or you can rate and review our nemesis teas, but please do it nicely, even though they are our nemesis teas, uh, on Angel on Top. This episode was produced by Kristen Russo, Jenny Owen Youngs, and Alba Daza, with support from our consultant, Mackenzie McDade. It was edited by John Mark Nelson. And till next time. Uh, uh, woo!
sunshine and sand. It's also party central for the demons and damned. You might have potential, but you're still pretty green. Remember, I'm the Slayer Supreme. Whoa, you know that I'm the Slayer Supreme. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.